ott van még Nikolic, Nígó felé, Nígó helyzetben, gól! Gól! Nígó kiegyenlít! Bravo Loik, bravo Lolikám, Lajos, szép gól volt! Sallai, azon mellett még el tudjuk hozni. Sőt, Szoboszlai kap labdát. Szoboszlai előtte, Nikolic bent középült könyves. Szoboszlai, könyves szép helyet csinált neki. Szoboszlai lő, gól! Gól! Hát ez ott van! Milyen hosszabbítás! Semmilyen, semmilyen! Le kell fújni, elvére kell menni, nem is kell menni sehova, itthon kell maradni! Maradj otthon, a Puskás stadionban jövőre! Szoboszlai góljával kettő! Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the HungarianFootball.com podcast. Hope you're all well. Um, joining me this week is, as always, Thomas Mortimer. Tom, the founder of HungarianFootball.com, featured in such publications as The Guardian, Independent and pretty much everywhere at the moment. Tom, how are you this evening? Yeah, I'm pretty well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, Tom. Thanks. Good to be back on this podcast. Um, also joining us this week is Bence Bocak. Bence, Ben, we'll call you Ben if that's all right, mate. Um, Ben's co-founder of First Time Finish, um, also features in The Guardian, The Times, uh, World Soccer Mag, and, and another one who's just everywhere. You two are like the James Corden of Hungarian football, really, aren't you? Ben, how are you this evening, my friend? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, how are you? Good, I'm good. Good to have you guys here. Um, huge week coming up, guys. Um, obviously, we haven't had a pod since the last two games that we've played in this, um, or three games rather, that we've played. So just something to touch on, first of all. I think we all know what it is. Um, at the end of the last pod, we asked, urged fans, uh, fans is the wrong word, we urged the idiots to not be idiots. And what do we get against England in Budapest? Um, horrendous scenes, absolutely disgusting sick, despicable, there is a run out of names to, to call it. Awful, awful stuff. Um, Tom, next day you were um, featured in one of the newspapers um, talking about where this, this kind of behaviour comes from. <sighs> what are we going to do about it, Tom? I know it's something that we could take hours to do, but the MLS said, uh, are like, they're so slow in going forward. What, what's that all about? Yeah, it was it was awful um, day to be honest. I was I've been looking forward to that game since the moment it was drawn back in December or whenever it was, um, and all week I was really really looking forward to that game as well. And then for it to pan out in the way it did, Hungary put up a really really poor performance in the first half. Like I think we were pretty lucky to to still be at nil nil but I mean it kind of kind of was going to a game plan but then we just collapsed in the second half and then but the football on the pitch told less than a quarter of the story really the the, the main reason why I felt so awful after that game was just because of the fan behavior like to see monkey chanting like that and then well it's bad enough and as it is and then you see like, the people on Twitter denying it somehow how were they even denying it because it was so obvious um there's loads of people who were denying it as well um hopefully no one who listens to this pod um and that and it was just awful to see that that kind of behavior at a, 
a Hungarian football ground in, in 2021. Um, but like I said at the time and um, in that article I wrote, um, it was just kind of entirely predictable in many ways. Like Hungary were um, punished rightly for uh, monkey chanting in, in the Euros. Again, that was strenuously denied by certain uh, segments of of the Hungarian fan base, and then and then it, is, it just happened again. And like like I say, it was it was kind of obvious that it was going to happen. People were blaming Raheem Sterling. I saw people doing that. Like what? <laughs> Taking his shirt off and displaying a message to to a friend uh, for a friend who's just died. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, I feel that there is such a paranoia from certain elements of the Hungarian fan base that they automatically thought that that message was going to be about them. There's such a paranoia from certain elements, like I say, certain elements of the fan base, certain elements of the government, that they think that like a, like a liberal agenda is out to get them at every single absolutely like every like around every single corner they go on about soros and all that kind of thing so i think they they assumed as soon as they saw sterling take his shirt off that that was that message was for them and then therefore he was provoking us so we can do what the hell we want like it's it's just disgusting and like um well in so many respects and then also the fact that lloyd nago is going to come back into this team this week like, how does he feel about all this? Like, and Andras Neymar, who's just scored two goals for the Hungarian under twenty ones um, tonight. How does he feel about this? Like, like, how did the black people of Hungary feel about this? Like, it's 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 just awful. Like that this still goes on, and um, yeah, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I think the this kind of fan base and 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 this uh, this section of the, of the fan base anyway are, are very much emboldened by the government and their rhetoric on on immigrants and they very they're very rarely um, condemned in in a strong fashion by the government and by the MLS said like I mean they weren't condemned at all for these well, incidents exactly. if anything we had Peter Seato pointing fingers and drawing comparisons to the Euro final and uh, exactly. I don't think Victor Orban said anything and I think that's like the most depressing part about it is like instead of taking responsibility for our actions and trying to change perceptions and trying to make sure that never happens again what happened in the Hungarian media is everyone was just pointing fingers and saying you know yes it might have been a small proportion of the stands but it still happened so and, and even if it was just one person it's still not okay it shouldn't happen in the stands but i don't think that 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 that's what depressed me the most is that that, that didn't really go through instead you had peter Seattle changing the narrative on his facebook and but there was also it was the same sorry it was the same in the summer as well like it, when Hungary got the ban from UEFA, he came out and said, uh, it's cowardly what UEFA have done on this, uh, uh, with this. It's like, what are you talking about? But look at the pro-government media back in Hungary the next morning as well that were blaming Sterling for, for inciting the crowd. It's crazy. It's just, yeah. it's, 
beyond belief. It's absolutely now. If if these if these guys, um, the the ultras that that are all doing this, if these guys are paying their money, buying a ticket, whatever, and going to stand on a terrace with ten, twenty thousand people, being able to pick them out, I can understand would be a little bit difficult. Okay, these guys sit together in the same section every game. They're given tickets to sit together in that section. It's coordinated. So are you telling me that you don't know who, exactly who these people are? I mean, the bottom line is, go to a Hungarian Football League match. Go, go to an MB1, MB2 match where these guys come from, where we're getting a 1,000 people turn up to watch these games. You can walk around the, walk around the ground and pick them out. It's just, just absolute bullshit, the response from the authorities in Hungary with regarding this, which can only make you feel that they agree. They agree that this is the right thing to do. I think they're in a really, really difficult position. Like, not, I'm not empathising or sympathising with them at all because they've created this position. But I think they, they are scared to death of them in many ways because if they come down too hard, they don't know that they're gonna that the Hungarian ultras are gonna leave the stadium and they're gonna be left with shit essentially. Like they're gonna have like massive protests, a little bit like when Frodi protests protested Kubatov all that all those years. I think they're terrified of that because they feel like all credit to the ultras in this respect, they've created an amazing atmosphere. And one of the reasons why Hungarian a lot of Hungarian fans go to games is not for the actual football on the pitch, it's because of the atmosphere in the stadium. And we've talked about that a lot down the years because it is amazing. But I think they're terrified that they'll just walk away if they get condemned, which is is a nightmare for them, like because they've completely created this problem. And like you say, they can pick them out if they want to, they can condemn them if they want to, but they don't want to. And like if it's just because they're scared. Or it's because yeah they just agree with this. I don't know, but like it's a real shit show for them. I think the problem is is that the head of the MLS is best friends with Viktor Orban in China, and uh, there's no way he's going to condemn anything that like like there's no way he's going to accept anything that Viktor Orban doesn't accept. It it goes it's everything is just linked to the government and. That's the real problem, really. And I think as well, in all fairness to the MS, like what I have to admit is if you went to a Hungarian game, let's say like a decade ago or 15 years ago, it would have been the racism and the anti-Semitism and everything. The anti-Roma chance would have been a lot worse. There has been a slight improvement in that, but it's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Like I remember going to a Friday game when I was in like 2010 and everything that there was every single chant was an anti-roma an anti-gypsy and a, a homosexual and a racist chant and and in fairness ever since freddie started going to europe and fairness Varish are one of those clubs who have clamped down on it a lot because it was a massive problem a decade ago and it's it doesn't seem to be a huge issue but then again when they did play those games in the champions league and they were in the limelight that was all behind closed doors so mm, but you've only got to look at the away section every single game and see the the um the flags that they put up that are that are massively far right as well yeah 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 you know, it's, it, it, it's, 
it's the same. It's the small. It's the smaller elements of of all the clubs. Honved, Wipesh, whichever club it is, it's the small elements there. But they're the, they're the guys that, like Tom said, they're the guys that are creating the atmosphere. They're the guys that are uh, that are making the noise. So it's just the wrong noises that they're making. But the thing is, like. We, like if people might listen to this and say, "Oh, keep politics out of football or whatever," but we're the, we're not the ones who are bringing this in. Like, mm. and this is this is one of the things that the Carpathian Brigade actually, when they first came around, they said, "We're going to take politics out of football. This has got nothing to do with politics. We'll have liberal fans. We'll have far right fans. We'll just mix them all together, and we'll we'll just basically support Hungary." But this is not what's happening. Like we saw it in the Euros where the the same rhetoric that is spoken about in Parliament by Viktor Orban and, and the Fidesz government is then being translated onto the terraces, like anti-LGBT um, banners. What was that all about in the first game against Portugal? It was about the law that had just been passed in legislation. That wasn't even making news in Europe at the time. Then the game in Germany, obviously, by that point, it has had taken a hold in Europe. And then again, we saw an anti-LGBT banners at that game as well. But the thing is, like, the, the, the Carpathian Brigade say, oh, yeah, keep politics out of football. But they're the ones who are bringing it in. They're the ones who are, mm. are screaming whistles at the knee. And then you see um, Orban again, the rhetoric that he says is, uh, we only kneel in front of of guards, our misses, or when we're doing service. And then you see at the England game that there's a big Hungary flag saying we only kneel in front of God. Like you literally are repeating what has been said in Parliament. Like, but it's a perfect mouthpiece, isn't it? It's just mm-hmm. a perfect mouth, mouthpiece. That that kind of rhetoric just really resonates with Hungarians who, like especially those who don't tend to like the West. Like, it's just one of those that... I, I think Carpathian Brigade has just got too big for their own good. It started agree, out yeah. with the right message, but now there, there's so many people part of it that it's just hard to control and, like, you know, like, keeping track of the bad ones. It's just, it's just a group that turned very sour very quickly. But this is always going to be the problem with what they are like, yeah. because they are a group of they are an umbrella group for all the different ultra groups. And to and, like you say, to be able to look after that is just almost impossible. And I think as well, when when there is no government or there's no organization keeping them in check as well, because they're they're essentially reward, not rewarded, but they're encouraged to commit these acts of racism, homophobia and and keep these ban keep bringing these banners to to the stadium and that's the problem and I think a lot of young Hungarian people are really the, the a lot of young Hungarian people go to, who go to the games and that tends to be the vast majority of the stands that are really just sick of everything about it the the racism the homophobia and the in a way, they're being discouraged to go because, or essentially, they can't go anymore, even if they wanted to, because UEFA banned them. And I think that I hope this was a wake-up call to the government or the organisation to just 
stamp it out of the game. I, I don't know if uh, I've been watching M4 a lot recently and during football games there's a lot of anti-racism adverts. I don't know if that was a requirement by UEFA or FIFA. I hope it wasn't and I hope they're just doing that to encourage people uh, from to be trying to change their mindset. And I think as well, like, that's what Kubatov, I don't know if you guys saw the Facebook video he did before the Bayer Leverkusen game. It was under the Europa League games for Ferenc Varsh in the group stages where he was kind of telling people how to gesture so uh, their gestures wouldn't be mistaken for, like, um, a Hitler mm. salute, uh, how Hitler salute. Um, I think that's one of those things that he, he got made fun of for that, but at least he's trying to change the narratives and trying to make it better. Mm. So, but the, the problem is, though, that like when Ferenc Faros played Betis last week, like, oh, like the Ferenc Faros fans had that banner saying, You wait for double standards instead of equality, this is not fair. Like, they obviously don't. They they think that there's like a uh, well, I guess that paranoia that I spoke about that this the the liberal elite are basically out to get us. And yeah, you've um, imposed this stadium ban on us, but we don't agree with it at all. I, I, and I, I know you, you make good points about like Kubatov and and hopefully that there is a. A, a sea change in, in the um, in the youth like we saw a lot of that on Twitter like like I say like we did see some people um, pointing fingers at Sterling and and saying that these monkey chants didn't happen but we did see a lot of people come out and and condemn the ultras and said yeah we're, we're basically sick of this and that was really really great to see however it's when you see that banner like last week that really kind of depressed me to be honest like it just makes me just think like come on you, you surely could you've seen what happened and this is a fair enough thing that they what they've done they've only banned us for one game it's not like it yeah. says two but it's, it's one game with a suspension like, yeah. it's really not even that bad considering it's what, a ridiculous it's just, ban like if you take take out like our bias towards hunger it's a ridiculous ban to only get a one game ban for those events like if i i would if i would there were people talking about banning hungary and i mean I, I wouldn't have supported that i don't i think that's maybe too rash of a decision but it also i would have understood where they they, I, I understood where they were coming from, and and I was expecting a far worse ban to to only get one game. That's mm. that's nothing, especially considering Hungary's history as well. I yeah. think also a point that needs to be made as well that I think in terms of Shonyi, he has really got to toe a line here because he is wanting to progress up the ladder at FIFA and at UEFA. He's, I think he's already is he if. UEFA vice president or FIFA vice president? Yeah, I think he, he is, yeah. He's a UEFA vice president. And I think he was actually briefly, and maybe of FIFA, but he was, yeah, he is his vice president there. One and he, he can't have this just happen under his watch any longer because he he will be getting all sorts of political pressure in, in that respect. And there's no way he can get to the aspirations he wants to achieve at UEFA, at, U, at FIFA, with this happening under his watch, like 
what we can say about UEFA and FIFA as an organisation, we can criticise them heavily, but they 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 can't be seen to to keep employing this bloke who where like racism is just completely rife and completely unchecked. So he's got to toe the line of yeah, keeping Orban happy in one respect, but also keeping UEFA and FIFA happy as well. I mean that, that's what I meant about Kubatov because he's someone who's speaking out against it at least. But yeah. with China, we don't get anything. There's no what not would nothing. You, in, what would you in, expect from a, a billionaire who's 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 attached to organisations like like UEFA and FIFA? Yeah, it's true. But at least his organisation, MLS, they they should be making a statement or something. But they didn't really acknowledge the racism or anything. It, it, and that's the sad thing. That's the really, really sad thing. It's you know, guys, this this could be a complete episode on it on its own. And and I think in the future we definitely need to do one to to cover it. It's a it's a deep. I say it's, it's a really deep um, historical problem that that we have. Um, and the thing is, it shouldn't be. I feel like when I talk about this subject, it, I especially on Hungarian football. I, I feel like it's controversial, but it's not at all. Like people say, oh yeah, we don't have this. Like, this is literally what is said by like people like Orban. We don't have this problem in Hungary. It's a colonial thing, and that's only attached to former col- um, colonial nations like America about the UK. But you have this. You have a huge problem. There's, there's a, and it, and it was evidenced in that game massively, and. It, it, like I say, it's not a controversial subject at all. Racism is bad. <laughs> Thinking white supremacy is bad. Thinking you are better than another person because of the colour of your skin is bad. So it isn't controversial. And this kind of shit is just wrong, plain and simple. Mm. Absolutely. It took it took me a long time to actually realise after all the events that Hungary actually lost the game of football. Um, I genuinely couldn't couldn't give a toss about the result after after everything went on. Um, but Ben, ultimately, um, back to what happened on the pitch, we got absolutely smashed to pieces four nil um, by by England. After such kind of positive um, run that Hungary had been on, um, you know, all right, we threw the game away against Poland. Um, we were saying on the pod, Ben, that. Um, we wouldn't be surprised, where you know, to have lost three nil, four nil, and we wouldn't have been surprised if we won either. Um, how did you see the way that the game panned out? It was it was just a really poor performance as well. I think it's just it, it was a shadow of how we played in the Euros. It, the players just seemed devoid of confidence and couldn't kick a ball straight for the whole ninety minutes. Uh, I don't know if it was. If you rely that much on Adam Nudge, uh, but his absence played a part, I have no idea. But Solosay couldn't get a touch of the ball. And when he did, he he couldn't really... He was just playing with his back to goal the whole time. And, yeah, it was just a very uninspiring performance from all around. There was so many uncharacteristic mistakes. Like... Attila Sai is normally very composed on the ball and very rarely gives the ball away. And even when he does, it's a very penetrative attacking pass. He gave the ball away in his own half. Like 
three or four times. I mean, Willie Orban made a mistake when he was just just on the ball for too long and ran into traffic. And I think that's how England scored their first goal, one of their goals. And well, obviously, Gul actually didn't have a great game either. And it was just, it's just not what we got used to at the Euros. Very, what happened on the pitch as well was very deflating. Mm, absolutely. It, yeah, there's not much to really pick out of it. Like you say, it was absolutely dreadful and, and, and nothing <laughs> that we'd, we'd witnessed previously. Um, Tom, if that wasn't bad enough, um, we follow that up three days later by going to Albania and losing that game 1-0. Um, not good again. No, and I don't know why, but it kind of felt... It kind of felt a little bit predictable that game. I after what happened at, at the England game, like the performance and kind of what happened off the pitch, I felt like there was such a such a huge mood swing. Considering um, this was only the second game back after the Euros, after an amazing European Championships where Hungary performed to incredible levels um, and basically had the whole of Hungary supporting them one game after that and then like it felt like not rock bottom at all after that England game but it felt like really really low I mean we've had some real lows over the past few years and and losing to England 4-0 at home doesn't feel like one of those but everything that went with it it kind of felt like a real like crash back down to earth really um to kind of it was kind of a reminiscent package of everything wrong with Hungarian football kind of um our lack of ability on the ball, our lack of fight, I guess, at times. Uh, and then obviously all the all the racist elements that we kind of are, do associate, unfortunately do associate with Hungarian football. It kind of, all our chickens came home to roast, roost in that England game. And then I think the players probably were just very downbeat going into that next, next game against Albania. And I thought Albania were pretty good. I mean, Hungary were bad. Hungary were very bad. But Albania just played us off the park and completely deserved their win. Um, they scored relatively late on, but they completely deserved it. Um, it had been a travesty for Albanian fans if Hungary had come away with that from that game with a win. Um, it, that was it wasn't more depressing than the England game, but it was uh, it was it was just an awful night. And like I say, I, I thought at times it was it just felt almost inevitable that we'd lose that. And it's so, so reminiscent of of the first few games back after the Euros of twenty sixteen when when again we were on an amazing, we we had an amazing European Championships, we were on a huge high, and then we came back down to earth with a with a one one or nil nil draw against Faroe Islands. Um it was just yeah, awful Hungarian football performance and um yeah, and the next one wasn't much better either. We Followed that up with a um, very unmemorable um, 2-1 win against Andorra um, to leave us fourth in the group, uh, six points behind first and uh, two points behind second. All's not lost. Um, Just like you say, there's nothing on the pitch that's encouraging you to think that we can still get out of this group, especially in the the fixtures that we've got coming up. Looking back over those all three games as a, as a sort of a, a total, um, Ben, 
Soboschlei coming back into the side, not necessarily been a good thing for us, has it? I just don't think he was used in the right position. Like he was, he just wasn't very effective playing behind a striker. He's, he's better in a midfield three because uh, he, like I think people tend to forget he went, he he had the Salzburg, the Red Bull development where they're very keen on pressing and winning the ball high up the field, and he's actually pretty good at that. And He's proved that he's pretty good at that in previous performances. So I don't know why Rossi tried to trial him in in, the, in an unusual position. And uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping he he's he hasn't really featured a lot for Leipzig, but I'm hoping that might be to his benefit. He might come back a bit fitter and sharper and. Hopefully, he's going to try and prove himself. Mm. How about for you, Tom? Um, do, do, it just feels like the team was was galvanised and kind of had to rally round the fact that the 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 guy with all the expectations on his shoulder and and rightly so, he's an outstanding player. But it just seemed like we felt we had to do something special to to make sure, because he wasn't there. Um, a lot of pressure on Rossi at the minute now as well, bizarrely, over after those two results. Um, what do you do? Do you let Soboslai do what he wants to do? Or do we stick to that discipline that we know Rossi likes from his from his players? Yeah, it was a, it's been a bit weird for Soboslai since coming back from injury. Like, I mean, I don't know why... I was definitely someone who expected Sobosai to just hit the ground running as soon as he came back. Um, I think just because I, I I know his talent. And it looked like he had done that, kind of. Because when he played that, um, I think it was his first start for Leipzig, um, he was awesome and, and obviously scored two, three cracking goals. One of them was a little bit lucky, but the first one was amazing. And to be fair, the second one was a great ball in it anyway. Um and I thought, yeah, he's going to take the Bundesliga by storm here, but he hasn't really, and 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 obviously he's not going to. Like, it's, it's, it's a very difficult position the, what he finds himself in, just coming back from injury in a team which is has just lost one of the best coaches in the world, and he's trying to find a new style with with a new coach, a young coach who hasn't also managed in the Bundesliga before. So that is a little bit tough for him to try and find his feet in, in the league and uh, he's done fine so far. I know some people maybe expect him to have done a little bit more and some people are a bit annoyed that he's not playing every game. But I don't think, I think it's very early days and I think people are probably a little bit expecting too much from him. Um, and I think we probably did expect a little bit too much of him in that England game as well. Um, again, like I say, just back from injury, playing against the team who very nearly won the European Championships, a team who are much better, in my opinion, than all the three games we played in the Euros. And he just just didn't fit in. Like Benzer said, he he wasn't played in a great position. Um, he didn't get much of the ball, which is not going to be easy for someone like Sobosai, who is used to just playing in teams which dominate possession. I know like in, in Champions League games, Salzburg weren't like that, but they had still they would have a lot more of the ball than Hungary did in that England game. So it's it's a it's a culture shock for him really, and um and for us to expect Sobosai to maybe take that game by storm 
was probably just at, expecting too much. And I, I kind of just, because I know how good he is, I kind of was probably one of those people who did expect a little bit too much from him. And and I was talking him up before the game. I was talking him up before, um, uh, in front of my mates and stuff. And then all of them were texting me throughout saying, what the hell? You were telling me about this guy and look at this. And, uh, and obviously that free kick at the end where he went about 30 yards over. They were like, you said he was a free kick genius. <laughs> like, like it was kind of just typical. But I think I think we're just maybe just expecting a little bit too much from him at the moment. And and I'm as guilty as anyone in, in that. He's 21. He's just moved from Austria to the Bundesliga. And he's just had six months out injured. Like the mental toll that that would have, the physical toll... It's going to be difficult for him to come back from that immediately. And I've no doubt that he'll make it in the Bundesliga. I've no doubt he'll make it at Leipzig. But right now, it's just it's just early days for him. And I'm hoping that in this game against England, he shows a little bit more. Um, and I, I'd keep playing him. But I think the fact that he was went and put on the bench against Andorra just wouldn't have helped him confidence-wise. And, and also getting to to fit into Rossi's system, like, um, that was the game to really play him, in my opinion, because I know, and people were asking this question when Hungary were winning, like, are we a better team with, without Sobosa in the team? And I was trying to say, no, we're just playing Andorra. Um, like, we, we were always going to be dominating the ball and playing a little bit better football against Andorra compared to Albania and, and England because they're just the worst team. But um, that kind of in my opinion, wasn't a good move from Rossi to not to not play him in that game. But uh, yeah, it's, it is. I mean, there definitely are questions to be had. But I think just because he is he is young, and um, it's going to take him a little bit of time to to bed into this team. After especially after kind of what had happened in the Euros, it does feel like oh yeah, we've, we're throwing this guy um, into the team where it was it was kind of settled before that. But um, I'm also kind of the fact that he did. Like Adam Nodge, like Benson said, Adam Nodge wasn't playing, so Sobosai basically had to, really, in my opinion. To yeah. his defence, I, I will say, since he joined Leipzig, he's averaging a goal contribution almost every game. It's like, I just looked it up, it's like 0. 0.97 per 90, which is still pretty good for a midfielder. Like, it's still, if we're, if we're looking at minutes by minutes, how much he's playing and the goal contributions he's making, it, it's similar to his Salzburg form before his injury. I just think what has been a surprise is he's at a big team where rotation is quite common. And obviously, it takes time to be the big star of Leipzig. Like if you look at Christopher Nkunku, who's the big, the main man at the moment, he's had... He's quite an established player there now. He's he's played a few seasons in Leipzig, and I think it, it we kind of tend to forget how young he is as well. He's he's only twenty or 20, 21. He's still he's still twenty, or has he turned twenty one now? Not quite sure, but he's still very young, and uh, I I think with that last game for Leipzig when he came on and scored got an assist. Um, and help break the deadlock against Bochum uh, this weekend. And then um, he kind of created uh, one of the other goals as well in the victory. I think that will, will have done him like a tremendous amount for his confidence. Uh, now we just need him to do it in a hungry shot. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, guys, looking at the at the the squad that we've got, obviously we've got doubts now over Willie or Ben um, playing. Um, Mark Tamash has pulled out the squad, as has um, Fiola. So pretty much is we we can only play who we've got available basically now, guys. Um, Tom, that's a that's a quite a worry, isn't it? Looking at looking at the squad that we do have at the moment. Um, yeah, but it's good to have Floyd Nago back, who obviously missed last round of games through um, through COVID, and and Ben got this Bender was baller as well. He's in great form at Grasshopper. He's scored a couple of goals as well from right wing back. Um, that's I would definitely play baller in in this game. I don't think he had the greatest game in the world against against England, but in my opinion, he is the future. So I'd, I'd just play him. Um, he, he didn't play in the in the second game against Albania. I don't know if Rossi maybe thought that he didn't. He was so bad against. It. I don't think he was that bad against England. Like, I mean, a lot of players played worse, and he actually got into some great positions at times. Um, and maybe his final ball wasn't always there. But like getting into coming positions up against was, Grealish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he played. I thought he played pretty well in that game. And for him not to play against Albania was a bit of a surprise, in my opinion. Um, we've still, well, hopefully, Orban will be fit enough for that game. We've still got Attila Zolai. Um and I think the core is basically he there at the back. Um, and like I say, Boller is a, is a good addition to there. I think we just um, Callum Styles would be a lovely addition at left wing back, but. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think there's too much to worry about. Like, I don't really know why Mark Tomash keeps getting in the squad, to be honest. He's barely playing at club level. So I don't really know what's happening there with Rossi. I also think, I know um, you were saying, Gabby, that Rossi's kind of under a little bit of pressure at the moment. Rossi's um, dialogue at the moment and his, what he's saying is a bit weird, in my opinion. I don't know if he is maybe feeling the pressure or he's getting a little bit antsy or what's happening. I don't really know, but like, yeah, I think that's one to watch in my opinion. Did you guys see when in the press conference he was asked about Gio Constantino, the NTK manager, how he was, uh, I think, his assistant manager or he was definitely in the staff. And, And then he left very abruptly before the Euros to take over the role. And he was asked whether... He like what he thought about him, and he basically just denied knowing him. Yeah. Something very strange. <laughs> it is it's sad that straight away after these two bad results, like especially from from like a, a lot of the Hungarian fans on social media were like all really on Rossi's back over bad decisions and everything like that. And I just think, guys, you need to take a step back and look at where we've come from because the results we have had up to this point for for a good couple of years have been absolutely outstanding. We've been on a great, 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 great run. And just because we lose 4-0 to England and then, you know, 1-0 to Albania, it's like, get rid of this guy, you know, what's he doing? And we should be doing this and we should be doing that. I mean, everyone needs to just step back, look at the miracles that this guy has done with our team and look at the resources that he has available. I think we need to have a reality check. Like, because I was looking at the Albania squad and around 10 or 13 of them play in the top five leagues in the world. Uh, and, And then if we look at the Hungarian squad, we have obviously the three Leipzig players 
but then it's just one and Shelley and that, that's it in mm. the current squad anyway. We have four players from, from Germany, whereas with um, Albania, the two centre-backs are starting for Roma and Atalanta. And then you have uh, Amando Breuer, who's in the Premier League, who scored the goal. Uh, and then and there's a few others who are playing um, in La Liga and Serie A as well. It's like, even though Albania seems like a minnow, on paper, I I feel like it's quite an even game. Or if anything, Albania are favourites on paper. Yeah, and you're right. We we you know we're doing that very thing that that um, we've been on the other end of recently, where you know everyone looks and thinks on paper it's only Hungary, it's only Albania, and you know and we should be winning them because they're out. It's nonsense. We would say we've been. We've been prime examples of how that's worked out for a lot of huge teams recently, like at tournament level and in you know group stages, Nations League, whatever it's been. We're, we're, we're um, you know, absolutely. It's, it's crazy to me that that um, that Rossi's getting this um, this grief at the minute. And you know, be careful what you wish for, guys. Be careful what you wish for, especially with the appointments that the MLS said has done in the past. I wonder if um, I wonder if Rossi's like ego's been hurt a little bit in all this, like, and, and maybe that's why he's becoming a little bit snappy and a little bit antsy with with the press and in his answers and stuff. Because I, I imagine that after the Euros, he'd have felt on top of the world after what he achieved in that in in those three games. I know we didn't get through the group, and I know we didn't win the game, but we we ran three great teams very very close, and we were. What, five minutes away from qualifying for the group and I imagine he must have felt yeah like I say on top of the world and almost coming back to like hero status and and now three games in like it's it's like like you say he's under pressure and I imagine his ego's just been like oh my god like just flattened mm. in in a, in a matter of months and it's no wonder like he's maybe just being a bit like or he's, he's kind of heads all over the place because one minute he's thinking he's the hero, and then second, yeah, you you just been thrown back to earth with a reality check, and they're talking about maybe replacing you very soon, and and the fans that who have been so on your side and were so loving throughout the Euros are, are questioning you at every turn now. Um, it's not an easy thing to, for someone to deal with, and and yeah, maybe that is maybe that's maybe what's happening here. I think as well what people forget is uh, the big advantage Hungary had going into the Euros is he had a massive training camp for weeks in preparation for the Euros. Uh, whereas now in these quick games, he's, he's having international players, uh, some some of the American-based players that are coming over uh, and, and they have jet lag and, and all these things. And then there's a couple of players like Willie Orban joined the camp late. There's not a lot of time in order for him to implement his ideas. Whereas at the Euros, he had all, all those training camps and he had he prepared, he had that time to prepare for all the big teams and everyone knew what they were going to do. And I, I think in terms of like team bonding as well, to be living together and you really do feel like you're part of a team. Whereas it's difficult when you have your like club mates and everything and then you have to leave your club, travel, 
uh, a long way away from the club and and then get into that national team mindset. Mm, absolutely, Ben. Um, guys, we're going to skip through an Albania preview. The game's tomorrow. Um, let's focus on the one that everyone's really, really, really um, looking forward to. And that's taking on England at Wembley. Um, ben, what's your starting lineup? for that game, who are you going to go for? Who do you think can get us a result? And by result, I mean, get away with a draw. I don't I don't think we can win that game, but um, I, you might feel different, Ben. I don't know. But what's no, the... agreed, agreed. I think a draw is a good result. I'd, I'd go home happy after that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a tough one. I think in terms of the back four, I'd probably go with Bola. I mean, obviously, Gulacci starting. Um, and then you'd have Orban um, and Sully, and then I, 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 f- I think I'd like to go if if Bodka is available. I'd like to go with Bodka as the third centre back against England because it worked quite well against France and stuff. So I wouldn't like to see Lung or Ketchkish coming in there. I'd, I'd I'd go with Bodka and then Nego as the left wing back, and 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 then I think midfield obviously Nudge. Um, and I think because Sobo say I would start in midfield and I'm torn between Schaefer and Kleinheiser and I think I'd just go for Schaefer because of his youth and because he's been in really good form for Dutz in Slovakia. And then obviously the, the big question is up front whether we go with Saleh or, uh, or who who we go without Saleh. Um I'd probably, obviously, Shelley is a starter. And then I think I'd go with Shelley, which will be a nightmare. But Shelley has been in really good form in the MLS. And uh, the only other real contender for that is Eden Nikolic. I think the only other contender in Rossi's mind is Nikolic or potentially Hahn. But I, I think against England to put Janos Hahn into such a big game is not very realistic. Uh, and I, I think it'll be too soon. So I, I'd go with Shalloway because um, the way you can hurt this England team, I think, is through counter, counter-attacking and uh, both Shalloway and Shalloway have a bit of pace and then put Sobosay in behind and there, there's there's potential there. I, I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'd like to see a front three with... with, with I'm not... I'm not the biggest fan of Nikolic. Don't get me wrong. I think I think he was excellent in the past. He was really, really good. I just don't see that from him now. Um, I, but I, I think maybe Salah is a, a huge, huge loss. Anyone that thinks he's in that team to score goals is is an idiot. Basically, look at what he does, and we're all aware of what he what he is. And it is is a huge, huge, huge loss to this side. Make no, no bones about it. But I just think maybe um, Nikolic, like on his own up the top there, with with with, with a three, him, Sean is. Absolutely incredible with pace. Salai, as you say, Shalloy, uh, we could we could really, really do well with that kind of pace up there. Um, Tom, my only um, worry is that that's not what we're going to do. We'll probably stick with having Nikolic on his own out front and lump the ball up to him from, from defence. Yeah, I mean, you make really good point about how much we'll miss Salai. Um, I think it's the most, the most, 
we'll miss him is kind of when we're scrambling at the back and just have to boot the ball clear. And we're just going to have no one who's going to be able to, to basically wrestle with the defenders and win a, win a counter, uh, well, maybe spring a counter attack or, or win a throw in or win a uh, free kick or anything like that. I mean, like Shalai has pace and Shalai is very good on the ball and also has a little bit of pace and stuff. But like, I just think they're going to get brushed off the board way too easily. They're quite, they're both quite lightweight. And I know Shalai is very good at, at hunting and uh, like nicking free kicks and stuff. But not, I think, I think the English defence will just deal with him uh, like too easily. Um, whereas Zolai has, I, I would, I wouldn't back him like, completely against Maguire. And I think Maguire actually did a pretty good job on him. I think the the positive is Maguire is not going to be in the squad, is he not? I, I think that's because Maguire was quite good, and, and I I think he's injured at the moment, so he's he's not. Oh, that good. is good. That, that's a, that's a, I was looking at the England squad, and I think that was the only positive really, uh, because the likes of Stones and Mings and uh, I I think Cody and. Uh, Tomori, uh, I think Tomori, I, I rate really highly, but the other three, I think there's areas, they, they, they have weaknesses that we can exploit for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's just if we get the ball to them, though, that I think, like, if we're just going to be backed up so much, and that was one of the things, I know we didn't have Adam Nodge in that in that game um, against them in the, in the first game, uh, and that's, I guess, why we didn't play out through the back that well, through midfield that well. But if we, if we do again struggle to play through midfield, we're just not going to have much of the ball. And like those guys up top will just be chasing shadows, like chasing after the ball, um, because the balls up to them just won't be good enough for for them to to actually even get a foot on it. Never mind anything else. Um, that's that's my only worry with well. I say my only worry. It's, it's a huge worry for me for this game. It's just how much we'll struggle to get out of our half. I mean, it was it was the situation basically in all the Euros games. Really, um, I know we we were really good in those games, but like there was for long periods of time, it's just struggles to get out of our half and and muster anything. And if we go one nil down earlier than we did in that. Uh, in the England game at, at the Pushkash Arena, like, it's going to be a really, really long, hard night. Um, and I, I almost think it might be worth Rossi just mixing it up a little bit, maybe maybe going a little bit more attacking, because I just don't see if England, if Hungary sit all, all the men behind the ball, I just don't see England not scoring, to be honest. I think they're too good. I think they will break through us. Um, they're going to be massively up for the game like because of what happened in in Budapest and I just think I think maybe just mix it up maybe go, go try and go for it a little bit more I know that might that's going to leave us really open at the back but we tried to defend um, against them in Budapest and lost 4-0 at home so what have we got to lose good shout guys um just before we wrap up guys I've got um I've got some questions from from the guys on Twitter um that we'll quickly get through uh, I want to say a shout out to Pal Ferry um Griezmann Chief as always hello to you um Zolly uh shout to you as well who basically all saying the same kind of questions that we've just covered there about um 
what what Hungary should do up front. Uh, shout out to False Bay as well. Um, guys, we're going to go with uh, one another one from um, Zoltan, who says, uh, "What would be classified as a good result against England?" So, in a word, guys, what what what's a good result? Anything that's not a defeat. <laughs> I think as well, a, a lot will depend on the result against Albania. Because uh, if if the result against Albania tomorrow is a bad one, then I can see it becoming a battering because essentially everything hinges. I mean, we have a small chance of making the World Cup now, but everything is hinging on, on, on the Albania result. Mm, absolutely. Tom, what's a good result for you? I'm not going to go quite as uh, optimistic as Ben, so I'm going to say 2-0 defeat's a good result. I think a good result will will be um, the press box providing us with ample cakes and sandwiches. That's, that's my... Um, my view on it. Okay, um, you. You're just part of the liberal elite, aren't you? Going absolutely. For it? I'm. I'm. Uh, well, not the prawn sandwich. Well, yeah, prawn sandwich brigade. Let's face it. If we were in Hungary, it would be the um, lard and onions on bread brigade. So, yeah, definitely joining that club, mate. Um, guys, listen. At the end of the day, the racists have won again because the battery on my um, Mac is about to die. If we wouldn't have spent 15, 20 minutes talking about what fucking idiots they are, we could have covered the game more. So apologies to everyone. Apologies for not having my charger with me as well. Um, but we're going to have to wrap up this show right now. Um, we're definitely going to do another one uh, after this um, little international fixture break. And we'll get definitely into it a lot more. Um, we could we could talk to hours uh, for hours. It's Always great to have Ben on the show. Such a great insight. Ben is fantastic with um, youth football as well. So we'll definitely find out about who's going to be taking the places of these older guys um, in in our squad as the years go by. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for being here. I look forward to seeing you at Wembley and um, on Magyar Fossey live duty, I believe. Yeah, why not? Excellent. Good man. Ben, look forward to seeing you at Wembley as well. And we look forward to seeing loads and loads of you guys on, on social media that are making your way over from the for the game or based in the UK or wherever you are in Europe. Um, if you, I'm, I'm sure you're all going to know how to behave for this one. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be that stupid to do it again in England, especially when there's probably going to be 70,000 people um, around you ready to give you some grief if you do. Um, fingers crossed, guys. Um, thanks everyone for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Once again, sorry, it's a rushed ending, ending guys. Um, but yeah, great to be back and we will speak to you very soon. Stay safe and, uh, keep listening to the podcast.